when I got started, all mullein and thistle. Now on this, the last species count we got, there are somewhere between 60 and 70 native plant species living happily and coexisting and holding their own against these weeds. You can see there's a, there's a thistle being smothered by lupin. So you give them half a fighting chance, they will, they will take it, they being the natives. Palouse Prairie of eastern Washington and northwestern Idaho is an endangered landscape. The Phoenix Conservancy, co-founded by Chris Duke, who you just heard, works to bring native plants back. This is Viewscapes, stories from Washington State Magazine, connecting you to Washington State University, the state, and the world. I'm Larry Clark, editor of the magazine. I took a field trip with Chris Duke to a large apartment complex on the edge of Pullman to check out some Palouse Prairie. Chris showed me a small hillside that's now a pocket prairie thriving with native plants, wildflowers, and pollinating bees, butterflies, and beetles. With sounds from construction on new apartments in the background, we saw the resilience and beauty of the Palouse Prairie. We're here in out by an apartment complex, the backside of Pullman. There's construction going on, so you'll hear things in the background. But the really cool thing that we're looking at is uh, native Palouse Prairie. And I'm here with Chris. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, hi. I'm Chris. I'm the executive director of the Phoenix Conservancy. And we're a nonprofit based in Pullman, Washington, um, with a mission to restore endangered ecosystems. Yeah, and you're also a Coug, right? I am. Go Cougs. I, fi- I finished my PhD in 2022. I believe it all, it all kind of blurs together, not only being grad school, but the pandemic too. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's just kind of a big black box of, I don't know when that was. Well, tell me a little bit about the Phoenix Conservancy. What, what do you do? Yeah. So kind of the origins of our name, everybody, everybody asks us if we work in Arizona and (laughs) and we always have to disappoint them and say, well, not yet, but (laughs) the, the Phoenix is very much a symbol that summarizes our goal here, which is to start with an endangered ecosystem that is, in the case of our Madagascar site, quite literally um, ashes, and from that, restoring the ecosystem that used to be there, or rather restoring the, uh, the uh, plant communities and the, the functional ecosystem that used to be there. It's not just in Madagascar. You know, it's really close to what a lot of our listeners probably recognize. Yeah. In Pullman and the Palouse. Well, so we have three focal ecosystems. Uh, which two of which are prairie, uh, the other one is Madagascar rainforest. So we go prairie, prairie, rainforest. And we get a lot of questions about how in the world we arrived at that, that conclusion. What they all have in common is we work on a uh, local, national, and global scale. And what they all have in common is that they are 5% or less intact. So Palouse Prairie, conservatively, maybe, maybe half a percent intact. Our national project, mixed, mixed grass prairies and short grass prairies in the Great Plains. Um, have been highly fractured and degraded by uh, resource extraction and, and ranching. Um, conservatively, about 5% intact and connected. And then Madagascar Rainforest is our global project. Somewhere between 5 five to 3% um, of Madagascar's rainforest are still, still standing. Mm. And in some cases, the causes are different. In a lot of cases, they're shockingly similar. But in all cases, um, we put them on unequal footing. Even if you live in Pullman and have done your whole life, it's hard to find true Palouse Prairie and to, to know what it looks like. And I know a lot of people that, that wouldn't recognize it, but it is nice to see more more of it. If you know if you know what you're looking for and, and you know you can overcome the plant blindness, this is this is it. 
it's a very interesting type of prairie. I've learned because of uh, you and I working a little bit together mm-hmm. and, and the article that you um, worked with with the magazine. Yep. Tell, how is Palouse Prairie different, especially when it comes to Forbes? Well, it's definitely different in a couple of ways. Uh, like you, like you're you're mentioning, it's forb dominant. So it's a prairie that we we're very careful not to use the term grassland because it's it's not really a grassland ecosystem. It's a, it's a prairie, so low lying, generally treeless, um, with small shrubs or very small trees. But it's dominated by flowering plants, um, forbs. So what you end up with is in true Palouse Prairie. In um, in early summer is just an almost unimaginable sea of flowers. It's there's grass in there, but it, it is not it is not what's driving the the show there. And it's also kind of unique in that it's so variable. There you can go around one of the last major patches standing, which is Steptoe Butte, and you can actually see basically all the ecotones that make up make up what you would consider Palouse Prairie on one one mountain and all that really changes is what way you're what aspect you're facing hmm. so the north side you get um ponderosa pine forest open sort of savanna forest with these prairie species that move into the understory and as you get a little bit drier onto the the west and the east is where you see true palouse prairie which is forb dominated extremely high diversity and once you move into the really dry areas on the uh the south facing aspects um, is where you tend to get grassland, um, more grass-dominated areas, and, and drier forbs. So it's it's also unique in that it's not homogenous at all. It is, a, is, as far as we can tell, has always been a, a patchwork habitat. And that, that diversity and that variability is really what drove it to be as valuable of an ecosystem as it is. It's hmm. it's not one thing. It's it's kind of many things all at once. So very, very cool place. Well, and one of the neat things that that I find is it doesn't have to be just big swaths like over by Steptoe Butte. Mm-hmm. You know, like right now we're standing next to a fairly small space, mm-hmm. piece of land on a hillside next to an apartment. <laughs> yep. And tell, talk a little bit about how you've restored, you know, sort of these micro prairies, or yeah. if that's a term you can use. I, we, I get, nobody's copyrighted it, so I guess we can. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we refer to them as, as pocket prairies. Um, just I guess because we like alliteration. If you really want to go off the deep end, they're they're or Palouse pocket prairies, but not, maybe that's too much. But <laughs> it's a lot of alliteration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The 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 misconception. I think this is this is probably a misconception from forest-based ecosystems that in some cases, in kind of the the early days of of the concept of restoration, the thought was well, you can't really have a functional a functional ecosystem unless you're talking. 100 square miles or more and yeah nobody thinks about these tiny little areas um as having any value but yeah as you said we're on you know maybe less than a quarter acre of of hillside that formerly was just completely covered in weeds and in particular two species of weeds so there really wasn't a lot of value in terms of what this land was being done with it was just being ignored now you look out and you see dozens of species of flowers and Mm -hmm. Pollinators on every one, native pollinators everywhere. And so the thing to remember is a lot of, depending on the scale of what you're thinking about, can this support a single, you know, like a breeding moose population? No, but many of our, our native pollinators have a home range that can be as small as a thousand square feet if you're talking about some of the really small bees. 
prairie doesn't act the same way as a big homogenous forest. Yeah. And part of an artifact of being a loose prairie and being used to being alternately covered in ice, covered in miles of lava flows, existing in these isolated patches, it is, is very well predisposed to function in islands. It doesn't have to necessarily all be continuous. It's better if it is. But even uh, even some place like this that you would think would have no value at all, or did have no value at all, there's absolutely no reason why every parking lot, every you know little unused nub of land couldn't be this. Well, you know, it certainly would bring color and life. And you know, just looking out over this hillside that we're standing next to, you know, we see some yellow flowers. What are those? Are those cone flowers or? Well, some, yep. So, so these are Canada goldenrod right here. Okay. The coneflower here is actually, this is, um, um, which is, which I'm butchering the scientific name as always, but, um, it's a native to the Great Plains that a well-meaning unknown citizen, um, got (laughs) established. It's one of these things. It's not really native here, but it's, it's also not, not a tragically horrible weed and it's, In the other end of its range, it coexists yeah. just fine. So we haven't tried to eradicate it. But you also see blanket flower. Yeah. We've got showy milkweed, Jessica's aster, and western aster blooming together. All told, there's about 60, somewhere between 60 and 70 species of natives. Mm-hmm. And a full complement from early bloomers all the way through um, the end of fall. A lot of our natives are so much more resilient than people give them credit for. Mm. What they can't tolerate is being plowed. The great tragedy about the Palouse Prairie is that we don't we don't really know that much about what it was. It, the Palouse was discovered, settled, and plowed almost entirely um, within a space of a hundred years. And in doing so, Pullman and a lot of these towns lost the uh, the artesian wells that they were built around and on. Um, that a lot of that had to do with our aquifers being. Uh, recharge during our, our long wet winters with these deep-rooted extremely resilient plants and but this as long as these are here this is not going to be plowed it's not going to be converted it's just kind of part of the landscape now and from Dabco's perspective they don't really have to do anything to it and instead of a field of weeds it's now this this little biodiverse oasis that now in early spring right about the time they're they're putting in new tenants this thing is a riot of flowers mm-hmm which is what Palouse Prairie is. And right. It seems like such an easy win, mm-hmm. you know, to, to take these areas that <laughs> are really just neglected. Year after year, I, I would swear to you that every single one of my plants, my native plants in my entire yard is, is dead. Like, nope, it's, this is the year, they're gone. They can't stand up to this heat or this winter or anything else. And every year they bounce back harder and, and faster than, than they ever have. And Yeah. So it doesn't have to be perfect soil. They, they like it better when it's not. Some of our most invasive weeds are, are invasive because they do a good job of sponging up soil nutrients. Mm-hmm. And when there's not very much soil nutrient available is really when our, our natives take over and shine pretty well because they're, they're used to that sort of situation. So yeah, we've, we've, it, it, we did a site at Bishop. We did some restoration at Bishop Retirement Community. And we're, we're literally packing gravel and sand around the roots of these things in the fall. Every single one of them is, we, we experience 0% mortality out there over the winter. 
I think, you know, there is this misconception, you know, you talk about restoration and native plants, and I think there is a misconception that they, you know, are, are you know, forgive the sort of pun, shrinking violets. Yeah. You know, that they're going to disappear, and this really proves the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at this hillside we're next to and construction of new apartments right over yeah. there. You know, this is a this is a busy place and it's wonderful to see, you know. Well the origins of this of this place, um, I used to I used to live in that building. Um, this was this got in motion when the Phoenix Conservancy had had just and you forgive this pun, fledged, <laughs> I guess. One of the first project sites that we have was right here, and it was it was me with a shovel, and I was tired of looking at a field of mullein, or you can see what its former state was right there. Oh yes, this arid, bombed out weed field, and I was just I was just so sick of looking at it. So I would go out there when I had time and pull out mullein, either drop seeds that I collected from the area, or um, in some cases plants that you know were growing out of a crack in a parking lot somewhere. <laughs> transplanted them one by one piece to piece by piece somebody called the uh, called the uh, the dabco staff on me <laughs> and said that there's a there's a guy running or there's this this crazy shirtless guy with a shovel running around on your hillside doing <laughs> i don't know what you should probably look into that and so patrick the uh, the uh, the grounds manager loves this story because he, he he would would never catch me because i'd be out for just a couple minutes to get hot and i'd just go in. i wasn't trying to avoid him it just never worked and yeah finally caught me one day and said what are you doing and i told him well I'm, I'm planting native species and removing weeds and he goes oh that's fine <laughs> <laughs> you, you are Could, will they grow here really tell me more and so it this this site in so many ways is is the birth of not only kind of phoenix's perspective of there's no such thing as too small of a prairie it's it's still going to have enormously deep roots it's still going to store a ton of carbon underground it's going to absorb a ton of water and it's going to be an enormous value to our native pollinators and it's 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 not hard you just look out and you see bees and butterflies everywhere so yep um I think it's really, um, it's amazing to see, and it is a, a hopeful thing as well. Yeah. In the time that I was living here and going from seeing, seeing nothing out here ever to seeing, you know, new species of birds popping up and using the prairie, and some of them are seed eaters and some of them eat fruit. Yeah, that's that's kind of the, the way of it is if you create the habitat, suddenly you have all the things that spread seed and, and we're always here fostering Palouse Prairie and... If you give them a space for it, they'll they'll bring the prairie to you. Absolutely right. You know, we're looking over at this butterfly flitting from from one plant to the other. Mm-hmm. It's not a monoculture either way. This is not the same as I would say the ancestral Palouse prairie that's on Steptoe Butte. But even Steptoe Butte, you can't you can't find a, a patch of Palouse prairie now that doesn't have at least some invasive species somewhere in it. Mm-hmm. When everybody, everybody likes to ask us, um, well, you mean restoration. So like, what are you restoring back to? You do ghoulish overkill and you go, okay, well, are we talking a hundred years? Are we talking a thousand years? Should I be worried about putting, you know, cheetahs and horses back on the landscape and, or dinosaurs? And the reality of, of what restoration actually means is buying time, not going back, but finding a balance. It's easy to write off, and a lot of agencies in a lot of places have, have more or less written off Palouse Prairie and said, well, it's, it's gone. 
what I would I would amend that by saying it's not the same but nothing nothing ever really is and that's kind of the nature of of just evolution and ecosystems generally we this prairie is here because you know the seafloor that it used to be got thrown up into the sky when the mountains came up so it's not yeah it, the world is in constant change and it's not it doesn't need to be exactly the same to be of incredible value i would say the the biggest starting point if if your reaction when somebody says Palouse Prairie is to say, what's that? That's very common, but that's a starting point. And the joke that we always have is people go to Steptoe Butte, drive to the top of the butte and completely miss the view. <laughs> and they're looking out over the sea of the sea of what's biologically a desert, which, you know, we need croplands, but it's, there's not much there. And what they're missing right at their feet is this riot of biodiversity and a really unique natural heritage that people don't even see. So I'd say plant native plants, see native plants. And uh, if you don't want to do it yourself, get a hold of the Phoenix Conservancy and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Thanks for listening. You can read more about Palouse Prairie in the fall 2023 issue of Washington State Magazine. What do you think of the podcast? Any ideas for episodes? Let us know at magazine.wsu.edu slash contact. The music was by composer, saxophonist, and emeritus WSU professor, Greg Yazanitsky.